Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose in the east. We've come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem, therefore, was disturbed with him. And when he called together all the priests, the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd his people, Israel. So then Herod called the Magi, and he found out from them the exact time that the star had actually appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. And after they'd heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose suddenly went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. They came to the house and they saw the child. He was with his mother Mary and they bowed down. And they worshipped him. Then they opened the treasures they had brought. And they presented him with gifts. Gifts of gold. And gifts of frankincense. Even gifts of myrrh. And that night apparently after they had slept. They were warned in a dream. Don't go back to Herod. So they returned to their country by an entirely different route. Father, today speak to us. Make your word clear. Allow us the privilege of understanding this truth that you had written down by Matthew. Enlighten us by your Holy Spirit. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I use my phone there because you see phones are a marvelous thing. And if you haven't gotten this simple little app, you know, version, Holy Bible, then you're not following through with the Advents. I have three different Advent things that I'm doing for my devotions. They're terrific. So if you haven't done it yet, I encourage you, get started. There are 24 days or 28 days. You can skip ahead. Okay? But get going on it. It'll encourage you and help you to focus on the Christmas season as opposed to what the best gift is that you might have gotten or want to get this year. All right? Pull out your outlines. As we walk through this scintillating message, whatever that means, right? Scintillating. About the wise men or the magi, as we look at this issue of God's existence and his calling to each one of us. So we begin to understand that Mary and Joseph are on this journey that God has called them on. And they were about to discover an entirely new dimension about God and their faith 
and how they respond to him and what he was going to begin to do in their lives. They would have to learn how to depend 100% on God for every single thing. They'd be amazed how God would choose to provide for them. There wasn't a castle for the birth of God's son, no family present, no midwife to to help, but a healthy, wonderful baby boy born in a stable of all places. And then in the midst of their wonder of why we're here in this situation, shepherds show up telling them about angels rejoicing and singing and declaring about the birth of the Messiah, the Savior, that had been born that day in Bethlehem. And Mary is beginning to ponder and wonder more of what exactly is going on. Do you realize there's over 7 billion people alive today? Over 7 billion. And some 1.5 billion of them live in China. One and a third billion live in India. And about 330 million live here in the United States. That gives you a little picture of the amount of people that are around today. And as we approach Christmas, for many of them, the question will become, if I believe this Christ in Christmas, this Jesus that they speak of, how does that work in my life? How does that apply to me as a person? How does it cause me to change or to live life more appropriately? In the midst of this time, as we find ourselves moving towards this, as we always do, it appears to me, a series of difficulties and and, and irritations and, and horrible events begin to take place prior to the birth of Christ, just as it did during the first birth. We had this recent attack here nearby in San Bernardino, a place that many of us have been. I'd actually been very near that area been around there a variety of times, and yet this horrendous attack by two people to simply kill people out of hate. And we find ourselves wondering, how could this be? And I think the same thing about Herod as he kills all the children two years of age and younger following the decision of the wise men not to go back to Herod. And tell him what had taken place. And the directive by God to Joseph and Mary to escape to Egypt, not go back to Nazareth, to their home. Don't take any clothes. You just need to go now. Difficult situations in which we find ourselves, especially if we're personally encountering it, Saying, well, God, where were you at in the midst of this? Why did you allow this to happen? If you could do this miraculous thing of of literally bringing your son down and, and birthing him among us, why did you allow this horrendous, horrendous murders and things to take place? Couldn't you have stopped those? And the question begins to form it itself. And other people that find themselves in this weird position of having a body that doesn't seem to fit who they are. And they wonder, why do I think this way? Why am I acting this way? I feel like a a female in a male's body. 
or like a male in a female's body. And I find myself having feelings towards others that I recognize aren't right, but they are what they are. It is me. And who is God to tell me this is right or this is wrong? What does God have to do with all this stuff, this entering into life? You see, that, that's the struggle when we come to Christmas. It, that's why many of us find ourselves interacting with other people. We sing great songs of joy about Jesus and all these things, but in the back of people's minds, those are the questions still wandering around. Is the Bible really true? Does it really give us directions? How, what, when, where? What? How does this all come together? And so today what I hope to do is, is remind us that the wise men were in that same position. These were guys from the east who came down to try and figure out what was happening, they saw an incredible star. It was a, it was a star that had never come up before that they were waiting for. Apparently, they had a revelation given to them, a prophecy perhaps given to them, perhaps by Daniel. And they were from Babylon or some other area there farther east. And they traveled quite a while. It may have been a couple of years that they have been traveling. That's if the star specifically rose to declare the birth of Christ. We're not sure exactly what it was for when, when it rose. We just know it rose up. And they said, we saw this incredible star we recognize it as the star of jesus how that all come into play we're not absolutely sure but when they finally get here and herod interacts with them we find joseph and mary back in bethlehem probably have returned by the way if you follow the scenario that we find out of matthew and, and luke you begin to to recognize that there's a series of things going on. This isn't just a baby's born, shepherds show up, wise men say, hey, Mary and Joseph head off to Egypt. Okay? That's not how it's working. This is a long period of time. Typical of the Bible, isn't it? Every time you read this, I think, wow, that was fast. And I started looking to it, and it was like five sentences took up six years. I go, my goodness. They're not very wordy. They're not like Pastor Eric at all. Well, we're not going to go there anymore. But after Jesus' birth, it says the wise men began to seek to find this truth. And so we have these first seekers, these guys who come down saying, what does it matter? Who is this? What's going on here? And they came down to find this thing they considered to be truth. They, they believed that this had happened. They came to find out, was it really true? So after his birth, wise men came from the east. They arrive in Jerusalem. They said, where is the child born to be king of the Jews? And Herod understood it. And he said, where was the Messiah supposed to be born? And he knew he was in big trouble here. He wasn't going to allow this to happen. He had control of his own life. And so these seekers show up. And they begin to try to clarify the truth. Now, now what I found out when I talk with people around me is that there are seekers and there are speculators. Okay? I want to divide into those two areas. Seekers are people who are trying to find God and to discover who he is, what's going on, how does this all work. Speculators are all about telling you what they think God is, what he's about, and how it all comes together. Seekers are constantly seeking to find a, a true God. And they usually do that on the basis of discovering some aspect of truth from the word of God or from people sharing with them. And they're trying to come to a place where they can say, yes, this is true. Speculators just like to talk. 
They're, oh, let me share with you my idea of who God was. I was a speculator before I became a Christian. I was not a seeker. I was a speculator. I'd tell you my thought of God and the all-encompassing energy that surrounded the universe that we'd all die and become part of, and da-da-da, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Cute ideas, cute thoughts, whatever. They meant nothing. I was just speculating, and one person's speculation is as good as another's. We can speculate and have fun all we want. They don't search, though, for the answers to find out who is God. Seekers take the time to find the truth. Lee Strobel was one. Let's take a look at his clip about, as he talks about how he came to find the truth. Oh, he's talking. That's, that's a cute. Loving, all-powerful creator of the universe. I thought it was stupid. I mean, my background's in journalism and law. I tended to be a skeptical person. I was a legal editor of the Chicago Tribune. So I needed evidence before I believe anything. One day my wife came up to me. She had been agnostic. And she said after a period of spiritual investigation, she decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And I thought, you know, this is the worst possible news I could get. I thought she was going to turn into some sexually repressed prude who's going to spend all of her time serving the poor in Skid Row somewhere. I thought this was the end of our marriage. But in the ensuing months, I saw positive changes in her values, in her character, in the way she related to me and the children. It was winsome and it was attractive. And it made me want to check things out. So I went to church one day, uh, mainly to try to see if I could get her out of this cult that she's gotten involved in. But I heard the message of Jesus articulated for the first time in a way that I could understand it. That forgiveness is a free gift and that Jesus Christ died for our sins that we might spend eternity with him. And I walked out saying, I was still an atheist, but also saying, if this is true, this has huge implications for my life. And so I used my journalism training and legal training to begin an investigation into whether there's any credibility to Christianity or to any other world faith system for that matter. I did that for a year and nine months until November the 8th of 1981. And on that day, I realized that in light of the torrent of evidence flowing in the direction of the truth of Christianity, it would require more faith for me to maintain my atheism than to become a Christian. Because to be an atheist, I would have to swim upstream against this torrent of evidence pointing toward the truth of Jesus Christ. And I couldn't do that. I was trained in journalism and law to respond to truth. And so on that day, I received Jesus Christ as my forgiver and as my leader. And just like with my wife, my life began to change over time. My values, my character, the purpose of my life began to be transformed over time in a way that, as I look back, I can't imagine staying on the path I was on compared to the adventure and the fulfillment and the joy of following Jesus Christ. Yeah. Lee's kind of now in my namesake. People say, Is it, "Was that you, Pastor Lee? Was it?" No, that wasn't me. That's Lee Strobel. Okay, we have we do kind of have a mousy similar look, but that's all. That's, that's, he has more hair in the back. Yeah. Seek and find the truth. You see, the seekers, these wise men, these magi were seekers of truth. They, they weren't showing up, somebody to show up. They wanted to find out, was Jesus actually born? Where is he at? Let's see him. Show us the evidence. We believe what we've seen and heard, but now we want him to be absolutely positive. Where is he at? 
So after his birth, these wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem. And they said, where's this child born? The one that was born to be Messiah. We observed his star rising. And we've come to worship him. They're serious. They were watching what was happening in the world. They were watching the stars. They were involved in life. Probably very, very wealthy men. They were alert to the problems and the difficulties happening around them. But what's ironic to me is that here Jesus was, born in literally the religious center of the world at that point in time, just a few miles away in Jerusalem. And yet none of the priests choose to go with the wise men. None of them choose to go and check this out. So they say, yeah, you you just go see him thinking there's nobody there. The star is even gone now. It's disappeared. So they head off to Bethlehem going, well, we don't know where in Bethlehem, but we'll head in the right direction and let's see what happens. And after they got to Bethlehem, they had to get all the way there. They get to Bethlehem and suddenly the star that they'd seen shows over a house. And they come to the house. And there, perhaps on the porch, don't know, maybe inside, as they gather together with their caravan of warriors and priests and whoever else is with them, they see the child and they recognize immediately that's the one. And the star's rays must be shining down upon it. Mary's probably going, what is going on? Who's got the lights hidden here? As she's walking with her little, what, two-year-old, three-year-old, year-and-a-half-old. We're not really sure, but we do know he's a child. And they all bow down and they worship the child. Not Mary, not Joseph, the child. And they begin to give him gifts, honoring him like we do at Christmas. They honor him with all these amazing gifts. Gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. A variety of different gifts. These guys were really interesting. I find myself going, well, where did they come from? We know they came from the east, maybe Persia. My best guess after I studied through the whole thing is they're probably from Persia, Babylon, something along that area there, and that Daniel had influenced them, and they knew a number of prophecies that we don't even have a handle on. And the result of that was a responsiveness to this area here. Daniel's a wise man himself, a magi himself, who had heavily influenced that area while he was alive and interacting with all these people. So for that likely to have happened would seem just that, very, very likely. And someone said, well, you know how many wise men there were, right? No, we really don't. It just says they had three gifts. It's just three gifts. In fact, the, the gifts are even plural in this. So it could have been many gold gifts. It could have been many pieces of gold. It could have been many different types of frankincense. It could have been a variety of, of this Myrrh and nard, some of it perfume, some of it a specialty, all these different. We don't know how much. It could have been three chests full loaded on donkeys that they gave to them as well. We, the Bible doesn't choose to give us clarity. All it says is they give these marvelous gifts. And the reason he mentions the gifts, I think, is to clarify to us that they understood who Jesus was, even to the point 
where they understood more fully than Mary and Joseph did with the myrrh and the need for the Son to become a Savior and to die for the sins of all mankind. I don't know. You see, I guess the big deal I saw upon this is these guys were so intent upon what was happening that they found themselves in the position of seeing God in this baby. And I'm sure they're gazing at him and going, what is, who is this? What is going on? This is marvelous. This is incredible. And they're overwhelmed, the term, with, with joy over seeing the star and then seeing the sun. He said, it wasn't the star that they were overjoyed with. It was that the star would show them the sun, would reveal to them the son of God, the Messiah, the one born king of the Jews. I like Jeremiah where he says, uh, God's speaking, when you search for me with all your heart, you'll find me. And you see these searchers, these seekers, and they, they sought, whether it be Lee Strobel or these guys here or myself, when you seek after God, you'll find him. He'll reveal himself to you. He won't just give you a set of rules and regulations and rituals. That's what we fall into, thinking that that's going to take care of it for us. Because that's so much easier than having to develop a relationship with God and this issue of sin, you know, and how I need to live life and respond to people and love. And I go, oh, man, can I go back to the rules, regulations, and rituals? I can come in here and light a candle. Those are cool. I can light a candle. No problem. Pastor Lee, I'll light the faith candle for you. Okay. And I've done my duty. It's not about that. It's not about a new set of of regulations or ideas. It's about literally developing a relationship with, with God, a relationship that's about communicating and learning and growing and understanding and interacting with truth and struggling with who we are and who He is and how all that works. And that, that's, that's the, the thing of the Son of God being born, God showing up to try and give us direction and understanding. This remarkable presence that does something completely different. I, 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 I just love this interaction. Every time Jesus shows up and you find himself after he's leaving, people respond with this ecstatic, incredible, wonderful joy. They have this sense of fulfillment, this sense of, wow, that was so incredible, that was so amazing. Um, I, I want to touch on that joy picture here for a second because I think that's a key value that is expressed by these seekers. They're willing to give up everything they could gain to gain something that they knew they couldn't get in any other way. So they gave up time and money and effort and, and prestige to declare Jesus and who he was. And the result was this overwhelming joy that God provides, by the way. Joy isn't something we can kind of stir up. I'll give myself joy. You can't get it. God supplies it to you. And it's there. And it's like, wow, I have this incredible, marvelous, wonderful joy. I, I watched this show here a while back. It was actually put on 1994. That's how old it was. And it was back here ways. And I remembered while I was doing this. And I said, you know, Lord, that could be interesting. And we put it together. The story is about um, a group of people who win the lottery. A guy wins the lottery. And, his, and he's a policeman. And just before he does, he got this ticket. And he tells the waitress, I, I, I left all my money. So instead of giving you a tip, how about I give you half of the lottery ticket, whatever I win on it? And she says, oh, yeah, that's great. No problem. Gives him a hug. She just loves people. This is this wonderful lady who is really about serving, and that's why she's a server. 
Uh, and it's, it's, it's a great story. And she's just laughing about the whole thing. Yeah, great. And he comes back later and he says, now, look, at, I'll tell you what, I've got some gifts I can give you and all that. Instead of half the lottery ticket, I want to bring that back to you. Do you want half the lottery ticket? Do you want it? I'll give you the tip now. I have the money now to give you a great tip. What would you like? And she just laughs. I don't really want your money. Sure, I'll take half the lottery ticket. Okay? And he has an interesting statement. Something he says before in the show. And it's this, because it declares his heart and his integrity. And he says, you know, a promise is a promise. Values are important. And when he fulfills the promise that he gave, he experiences incredible joy. Let's watch this clip. About our little agreement. Huh? Double the tip or half of what I won in the lottery. That agreement. How about we make it your choice? Door number one, double the tip. Door number two, half of what I won in the lottery. My choice. Okay. <clears throat> Whatever. I'll take door number two. I'll take half of the lottery. Pay up. For sure. Positive. I was hoping you'd say that. I'll bet you were. Better luck next time, right? Oh, actually, we were, uh, we were pretty lucky. Oh, really? Did you win something? We won something. All right. What? We won something? What did we win? Four million dollars. Why are you doing this? What? This sick joke. No, it's not a joke. This is not a joke. No. No. What you're telling me, what you're saying to me, that you're really... What, you think I'd make this up? Yes, yes, I do. I'm not. We won. The lottery. The the New York State, the lottery lottery. The actual lottery, New York State lottery, $4 million. Yes, $4 million is our share. Happened last night. Well, it would have been more except a, a bowling team from Albany called in. They took about $9 million out of the pot, but we won. And you're telling me that you're actually going to... Split it with me. A promise is a promise. Oh, my God. <laughs> you all right? <laughs> oh. oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my to, but it, it, 
But there's this part of me, it's a neurotic part of me. I'll admit it. Accept it. How can I? Accept it. I want you to have it. With all my heart. Yvonne, take it. Take it. Great shot, huh? What I like about the clip is it keeps bringing back to him, and you see this amazing joy that he has as a result of his response to the values that he knows that are right. A promise is a promise. When you follow the directives that God gives and you respond in the manner that he's told you to respond to, you find yourself experiencing incredible, overwhelming, sometimes just knock you down to your knees, joy. It just seems to go on and on. I remember after I received Christ, my Lord and Savior, and I began to understand who he was and what had taken place. Um, after about a week, my cheeks hurt so bad from smiling. <laughs> I just couldn't stop smiling and tell everybody, Jesus died for me. He loves me. And it was such joy, overwhelming joy. I want to challenge you for something. And I know this can be difficult. But you see, God places stars in our lives. They're travel guides. Sometimes it's a lottery one that you're supposed to give half to somebody else. It comes in a variety of modes and ways and pictures, events and people that cause you to find Christ and lead you to a closer relationship with the Savior. But you have to choose to travel and to look and to experience the joy of where the star is leading you. And if you don't do it all, then it just becomes like a travel brochure telling you where you can go, but you never get there, as opposed to a travel guide, a star that says, here is your spot, here is where I want you at, watch it happen. And those guides can be very, very difficult at times. Sometimes they come in the mode of difficulties and struggles. In fact, to be truthful with you, I find they more often come in that than in other ways. They come in the form of death. They come in the form of um, penalty. They come in the form of, I can't deal with this. Lord, why is this happening now? And they're really stars that God is trying to say, look, it, I will provide in the midst of this if you're willing. And the Savior is born to us in those situations. A, a clarification of our relationship with God and His marvelous ability to handle everything is, is born. And it changes everything. 
And this wells up inside of us this sense of grace and love and joy. And the Christmas miracle, you know, happens if we follow the star. If we listen to the voice of the star. You know, I know. You're kind of getting a picture of the idea. Some of you had a really tough year. You've maybe had, I've had a horrible month. November was like the month from hell. Wow. If anything could happen, it did. Just awful. Some of you knew it. A couple of weeks ago, you looked at me up here while I was speaking and were going, uh-oh. Pastor Lee is really hurting. And I was. Just a hard thing. Not for me so much personally. I've had cancer and that wasn't a big deal. Uh, but because of those around me that I love and care for, we're going through such difficult things and I was unable to somehow remove the burden from them or to heal them or to help them. And it was so hard And these, these stars that, that lead us uh, to God's presence and His love in our life and remind her that we're not God and He's more than capable. And so we pray and you keep praying and you watch Him show Himself. But it doesn't make the month less difficult. The star comes at the end of the month. The Lord's waiting for Christmas for me. Okay? Some special things have happened. It's continuing to work better. Just different things. Last night we got a call from from uh, Mary's mom and her stepdad had died. So he died last night. And just kind of one more thing. And, and we were expecting that. He's 91. It was time for him to go home and be with the Lord. And it was great for him. Wonderful. Great set. Everything was just like with my mom. It was wonderful how the Lord put everything together for him. But there is still, you know, it's, it's another star. The travel guide about my relationship with God and His desire. You know, so that stress that comes in our life, maybe that's simply God's star trying to get our attention. Now, this is what's interesting. In the midst of all this joy and excitement about giving away half of the lottery amount, this guy also happened to have a wife whose value was not in a promise as a promise. Her value was in the more money I can get, the better. And the result in the movie was she gets all the money. Now, he develops a relationship with this waitress as they discover they have light souls and minds and hearts together. And so they become uh, a, a, a couple without anything. They have no money. He even loses his job. And you see this horrible. How could this happen to someone who's trying to do the right thing? And in the midst of their tough times, and it doesn't appear to be they're handling it pretty well, uh, God shows up in a special way. Let's watch the clip because I think it's very much Godlike. Tonight, I, Angel Dupree, a photographer for the New York Post for 10 years, had the opportunity to study grace and generosity under the direst of circumstances. Even in their darkest hour, the 
the Starwood Officer Lang and the good-hearted Ms. Biasi shared a bowl of soup with me. When I left, this good Samaritan gave me money from his own pocket, wishing it could be more. I just want to make one stop. Sweetie. I'm okay, I'm okay. I knew this was a bad idea. No, I just wanted to see it again. Why is the gate open? I don't know. Well, Carol has a key. Maybe. Door stuck. Good Samaritan's Fund. Lotto Lovers. Coffee Shop. What's that? Oh, there's a... It's five dollars. Oh, come on. No. There should be more people in the world like you. Ethel from Staten Island. And there's a check for ten. This is all for us. <laughs> oh, Charlie. to all of us, Betty and Phil Bronx. We are hoping you will have a wonderful future for Garcia's Long Island City. It took Charlie and Yvonne three days to open up all their mail, and when they were done, New York had given them a $600,000 tip. Charlie happily went back to the force. Yvonne got her coffee shop back. Interesting, it wasn't four million, it was 600,000. And I thought, yeah, the Lord always gives us what we need, not what we want. God provides gifts to us out of recognition of how he wants to bless and encourage and direct us. And then oftentimes he puts a little ice cream on top of the pie just to make it a little bit better. You see, when the wise men chose to give their lives up for a period of time and sought after the son, God intended to provide for them something special, and he does. And so they arrive, and when they see the son, they recognize him. 
and they receive the gift that God has provided. The Messiah. The one who would show us for the first time ever who God really was. How he truly related to us. Bringing this whole concept and idea that we live on today about God having a purpose and a plan and an intention for our lives. As he did for Joseph and Mary and continues on with so many people. This recognition that Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. The one we never saw, we never were able to feel and touch. He existed before God made anything at all. And in fact, Christ himself is the creator who made everything in heaven. And earth. You see, the amazing thing about Christmas is that God the Creator would so humble Himself and become one of us and put Himself in the hands of normal human beings as an innocent, helpless little child. Wow. And so we give gifts. Isn't it great? Some 2,000 years later, we're called to give gifts at Christmas. And billions of dollars, literally billions of dollars, are spent this month on Christmas gifts. And why do we do that? I say, well, we're copying God. He, he tried to show us how we needed to respond to him. It's, it's about understanding this abundant life. Jesus said, I'm going to show you how to live life and how to live it abundantly. And that, that was, the idea is that it's not in giving that we receive. And I go, that makes no sense. It's in dying that we gain life. How do we grasp these truths that are so hard for us as we live day by day? Well, the wise men got it, and he calls us to be wise as well. But the biggest thing is you've got to recognize the gift when it's given. Now, if I give you a gift, I don't know if any of you ever got it. Have any of you ever gotten a gift that you didn't know what it was? Well, if you've ever given something to somebody that you thought they were really going to like, and they open it up, and they, they look at it, and they go, oh, you know you blew it. Eh? And then you have to explain to them what the gift is. Well, let me show you how this works. If you have to explain the gift, it was a crummy gift. Eh? That's just the way it works. And the wise men, they saw the gift, they recognized it, they responded to it. If I was to say, you know, today I have the keys right in my pocket here to a brand new Lexus. I will give to the first person who gets up here on stage. See, there would be a mob. Everybody just running because you know what a Lexus is. And you know what a great gift it would be if I gave it to you. Well, it would be used in this case have 140,000 miles. Starting to move down a little bit. But it's still a great gift. You recognize it. So I guess, you know, the big thing about Christmas and the wondrous thing about each one of us here as we look at these candles of faith and hope is that the great thing is I look at these trees and I see all this stuff. I go, I know what Christmas is now. In my entire childhood, I didn't know. I had no idea what the gift of Christmas was. I just thought it was a time in which I got to get stuff. I didn't really understand why, but I do now. And that's the wondrous gift of Christmas. It's Jesus clarifying to us our need and his gift that we admit 
that we're sinners who've fallen and failed and struggle and are living with this penalty, this huge load on our backs and this inability to respond and to love and care for others because of the sin that we continue to be overwhelmed by. And Jesus is saying, why don't you admit that you need someone to take care of that sin? We say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I admit it. And he says, do you believe I am the Christ of Christmas? I'm the son who came so that you could have life. Christmas isn't about you giving a gift to me, about me giving a gift to you. Believing that I am who I said I am. The Christ, the Messiah, the, the Son of God. I'm the one who was born Messiah. And then I clarified who I was in my life and how I lived. And now, because of what I've shown you and told you, you need to make me Lord of your life. You need to declare me as Jesus Lord. Jesus Savior. And when you confess to that and you commit to that, everything changes this wonderful, incredible gift of relationship with Jesus and with God the Father and with life, purpose and understanding. You see, this sincere investigation by the wise men turned into sacrificial adoration. It's Lee Strobel saying, the more I looked at it, the torrent of evidence was so overwhelming, I had to go against stream to not respond. I finally had to say, I give up. Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You died for my sins. I need you, and I'm willing to follow you. That's the cry of Christmas. So that we can find ourselves on that special morning going, Wow, this is so wonderful. And we light the candles, and we give gifts to one another because we've been given the most gracious, incredible, marvelous gift of all. Jesus, the Son of God who died for us. Be wise men, not speculators. If you're wondering about the evidence, work it. God's not afraid of your investigation. Work it. Seek Him. You'll find the star, you'll be overwhelmed with joy, and your life will change. And you will, as these guys kind of did, turn around and go back home in a completely different way. I kind of work with that one a little bit. That's kind of fun. I work with that. I go, completely different way. I go, oh yeah. Boy, did I go home in a completely different way. I remember the day I showed up, walked in the house, this drug addict messed up. Wow, what a joke. Kid whose life completely turned around. My dad looks at me and he says, did you become a Christian? Because you see, most of us really know. Let's all stand. Father, thank you for this chance we've had today to remind ourselves of the marvelous gift that you provided in your son. Thank you for taking care of us and loving us. Bless us now as we continue to follow your will. This week, let your peace be amazing in the lives of each person here. Let your joy be overwhelming in their lives. They find themselves hurting in their cheeks from smiling so much. Thank you for all you've done and all you are. Continue your blessing in our life, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week.